Hi, and welcome to the Filmmaker Toolkit Podcast. I'm Chris O'Fault, Deputy Editor of Film and TV Craft at IndieWire. And my guest today is director Justin Lin, who returns to the Fast and Furious franchise with F9. And today's episode is brought to you by HBO's original documentary series, The Vow, which goes inside Nexium and follows a number of people deeply involved in the self-improvement group over the course of several years. The Vow is a story of indoctrination and the step-by-step journey of Nexium members defecting and outing Keith Rainier. The series takes a deep, nuanced look at the Nexium organization, which faces various charges, including sex trafficking and racketeering conspiracy against its highest members, and most notably Rainier himself. It's for your Emmy consideration for outstanding documentary and nonfiction series, and all episodes are streaming on HBO Max. Came across this uh, behind-the-scenes clip of you getting ready for sex, and you said uh, something like, uh, you know, the only the only way to do this one is to do it bigger and better. It's kind of like this idea that we had to outdo ourselves. Um, and of course, that would be the case coming off of five. My sense is in coming back, that necess- that might not necessarily been the the driving force or the attitude coming into this. Was obviously you're trying to make the best movie, but this idea of outdoing oneself, it seems like this might have been a more of a story thing for you coming back. No. Yeah. No. That was. Thank you for that. I. I. I I felt like when I left, that was it. You know, I, I just never thought I was going to be coming back, to be honest. Because um, five it and was... six, how were you going to ever do that? I mean, those things were just like, <laughs> I wouldn't want to ever have to try it out. If that was my attitude, I would never want to try to outdo that. <laughs> yeah. And also, I think it, it was it was it was great. I, I, I felt like, you know, when I first on Tokyo Drift and I was trying to talk Vin into coming back, you know, we ended up by his pool talking for four hours about Dom and Letty and Han and, and their connection and this mythology. And it, it obviously wasn't in Tokyo Drift, but it was amazing uh, just the level of care that Vin had and we connected on that. And that's why he came back, he did the cameo. And then, you know, we were able to then earn another chapter, you know, and, and, and back then Fast and Furious is not what it is now, you know? And, and mm-hmm. so we made a very concerted effort that, you know, if we were going to get another chance, let's not, you know, do the same thing over and over. I think that a lot of times these big budget franchise, you know, it's very easy if you're successful, they're like, hey, just do the same thing again. Mm-hmm. And I give Universal so much credit because they're like, yeah, you guys go. And, and so we were always, it wasn't a, a math equation saying we got to go bigger and mm. you know, better. You know, it, it was always saying, hey, you know, let, let's, let's, let's have, you know, it's, it's at the end of the day, it's really about Dom and Letty and Houghton and, and, you know, Roman and Ted. It's about these characters and, and let's acknowledge their growth, evolution. And mm-hmm. now, now for part nine to have Dom and Letty, now they are going on this adventure and they have to think about this three-year-old, you know? I think yeah. that's something that, that was set, you know, in 2005, you know? And so yeah. it, is, it is crazy because after six, I remember that night we talked about all these things and how it was going to evolve if we were lucky enough. And six was really the end for me because that conversation ended and I thought, okay, six is it. That, that mm-hmm. was the end of our conversation. That was a great ride, you know? And so, um, when, you know, since I've been gone, you know, the, the studio always kind of checks in and Vin always, he would just call me and talk about Dom and I'm like, <laughs> okay, cool. Like, you know, let's, I, I'm out, but like, I'll talk to you about Dom. <laughs> yeah. But I realized he was really just kind of planting the seed and saying, Hey man, like this is, this is something we built. And I thought, great, great, great. But it wasn't until I thought, you know, the idea of exploring the the theme of family, but this time through blood, 
that was very exciting to me because in order to do that, I felt like, especially now at 20 years, yeah. it, it gives us an opportunity to kind of go back and, and really kind of explore the origin of this mythology um, and, and to be able to kind of solidify it. So it, it, those two ideas to me was what inspired me to, to, to come back. Because you are digging into these characters' backstories, um, you're bringing back characters, there's a lot of these emotional... There's a lot of story to pack in here. I'm wondering, and this is more of a writing question, you know, I imagine you're always kind of writing towards these big action scenes, but you're also trying to pack in so much story. Was this this a hard one to structure in the sense of how to get to the action scenes and then just the amount of story that you're bringing into this? Yeah, I, I wouldn't say it was a negotiation between action and non-action. It was actually a negotiation of, how, and maybe it's me being away, because when I came back, I, I just, like, I love every character. It was about trying to hopefully organically do justice to every character. That was the, probably the bigger challenge. Um, but when it came to action, um, I, I actually felt like, you know, is there a way to celebrate, like, take a moment for us to kind of, you know, celebrate ourselves a little bit and, and, and to be able to have action sequences from the very beginning and to treat, the, to treat it stylistically a certain way. But also at the same time, we're, we're now, we can also kind of celebrate kind of where we are, how much we've grown. Mm-hmm. And, and, and hopefully, ultimately, this is that film. Um, and this is actually very, I'll say this is very conscious, you know. Um, you know, when I, when I was talking to Vin, I kept talking about this one premiere I went to in Cologne, Germany in 2009 for Fast Four. And I was, I'm always the first one to kind of get through. And it's like two hours waiting for the actors to get their pictures taken, <laughs> you know? Um, but this time I was, I was talking to all these fans and one of them was a father-son. Mm-hmm. And it, they were so excited and I was asking them why they like it and all these things. And then we met this other couple and uh, the wife was pregnant, you know? And... It was a great conversation and that was it. But for some reason coming back, I, I, I kept thinking about that moment. And I thought, you know, I was talking to Vin. I said, you know, that baby would be like nine or 10 right now, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know? And so it's actually the, the franchise has become kind of generational. So I, I, I think, you know, the, the attempt also is to say, hey, man, like, wouldn't it be great if we can celebrate and we can really explore all the mythology, but a whole family, the mom, dad, you know, the son, daughter can all go, hopefully go and escape and enjoy it. And and maybe afterwards they can talk and everybody likes different parts and they can argue about it. Um, But that, that is something that I think as we've grown, um, especially on this, uh, on this chapter, um, that, that was a, you know, again, maybe that it's 20 years, it, it was something that, that, that we wanted to, you know, hopefully make it so that it, 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 it's all kind of cohesive. Um, but it was a it was a big challenge to try to um, accomplish all that. Let's let's use the um, opening action sequences as an example here. But I, I'm always very curious about this. So you're you're with the main unit. You're with the actors. I think you guys were uh, sound stages in the U.K., and then you got this enormous team going to do second unit and that's happening simultaneously. Right. And so yep. once again, let's use that opening sequence as an example, because it, it seems so difficult. I know you have a distinctive action style. Um, you, you um, obviously there's an element of planning in, in previs and you, there's, a, there's some math involved here to get what you want. But I, I, I just think of something like that and how to go down the hill and all the different ways of doing that. How, how, there's got to be a negotiation back and forth. There's got to be a try 
things out. There's only so much you can plan, right? There, that I'm wondering how that negotiation back and forth of of you having a pretty busy job working with the the cast in the UK, yeah. and then this part's happening over there. How how does that work? There's no sleep, to be honest. <laughs> you know, um, I, I I mean, look, that I'm not. I know that there's all these tools for all the filmmakers that get to make these movies and nobody uses it uh, the same way, you know? Yeah. Like when I talk to the Russos, they, they, they have a different approach and I am always fascinated, you know, uh, in, in how they do it. But I guess, you know, for me, it, it, it's very important because action is like, what, 40% of the real estate. Mm -hmm. and, and, and I just wanna make sure the language that I'm establishing is being followed through. Mm -hmm. And so um, technology has really helped in communications, you know? And, you know, I, I, that, that opening sequence, I could show you the previs sequence versus what the final cut is. And it is, you know, like we've gone to a point where that is, that is our communication, you know? Like mm -hmm. I, I get Erwin Doyle scanned into the computer. My lenses are all set, you know? Um, but I also don't feel like I, I want to be like this dictator and yet because I also get filmmaking. Like when you go on the set, you, you're shooting something, something looks great. I just want to make sure that Spiro, when he's there with Igor, the DP, that they're speaking the same language. And when they see something, they could call me and I believe me, I've gotten calls at, you know, three in the morning saying, Hey, you know, it's you have it at you know 21 millimeter, but we're here. Can we back it to 18 millimeter? Mm -hmm. That's all I ask, you know. That, but that's the way I, I I love I love talking that. I love you know uh, understanding you know why if we're gonna do that, you know. And on this one, uh, when we did the Monte Quinto thing, you know, I had to go back and shoot some stuff because you know the 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 lensing was creating a feel that I felt like it was too self conscious. But it's 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 something that has to be addressed because, you know, you blink, hundreds of thousand dollars get spent by the end of that day. So you better fucking figure it out, <laughs> and you better figure out how to communicate that in the moment. You know. So luckily now I could, you know, it's crazy. Sometimes I'm sitting there working with the actors, and we're trying to get the emotional beats right. I call cut. People are running up to me, and they're being te they're texting me like the video feedback of of things. And that's okay. It's my job, you know, like I want to make sure that at least we have the right discussion on every shot of this film. And, and that's the way I, I like doing it. And, you know, I have an amazing crew and we trust each other and we now have this amazing uh, uh, process to communicate, you know, um, because back in the day, you know, if they don't get it on that day, you're not going back because you just used up that money. And so it is it drove me crazy, but through time, you just keep getting better. And you also develop the, the trust, you know, and, and, and have a working relationship with people that, that I love, you know? And so, um, yeah, that's, you know, the, 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 the opening sequence, is a great example, you know, it, it really, that was the first sequence that, that, um, you know, when I came on, I started previsiting and then, and then once I knew it was Irwindale, we scanned the whole thing and redid it again. So like, it's, uh, there's a lot of work that never, you just never see, you know? Because um, there's an element here that that piece, right? It's about terrain. It's about the fact, as it, it, a story standpoint, it's like they've got to go through this train terrain and have that fast and furious speed. And then there's that element of how much you feel it. While you're pre it, 
I imagine there's a million and one different tools of how one's going to go downhill and feel things. There's one thing of how you're, you want that to look, but is it also a matter of also talking to your team of like, which tool is going to get us down this part? Is it, you know, is there, is there a device that's going to, we're going to yeah, actually be it, on the ground driving it drone is, 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 are those the type of things that you're also getting involved in? Of course, when? of course. And specifically I, I'm, I, you know, look to me that, that I was going to adhere to the tools of that day. Yeah. I, I don't like, you know, at least in this design of, in this movie, I didn't want to use tools that was not available in 1989. You know, I feel like that that's there's an authentic approach to it. And so um, but at the same time, I also feel like sometimes the tools are so refined that it almost feels like a, you know, too perfect video you game. Know? You know, that's the thing. It's yeah. a, you yeah. avoid feeling like, it like a video game where it's yeah. just it's a game engine. Everything like is grounded. Everything is gyroed and it's perfect. Yeah. So like I would sit there and, and I called the uh, Fred North, our, our aerial uh, pilot. And I said, look, man, just loosen up that gyro because you're in the 80s and let's not so be so perfect. And so I'm constant. Sometimes I'm talking to the driver and saying, mm -hmm. hey, you know, you're Jack Toretto mm -hmm. and, you know, you, you're going through this. And I'm trying to communicate with them because they're so good that they get everything yeah. kind of perfect. And I'm trying to make it imperfect and make it so that it matches our character so that when I'm doing, you know, the character work inside mm -hmm. the car, that the driving is actually matching them. So it, it, it's something that, like, I, I, don't, I don't think I'm, like, an obsessive person, mm -hmm. but I love it. You know, I love it when, 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 when I can have the right conversation. And sometimes talking to a stunt driver... I have to learn how to communicate because I can't be talking to stunt driver the same way I'm talking to Vin. But mm. if I can break through and we can work together, then what we're getting on, on the aid team, uh, the first unit and second unit, it all comes together and we could tell that emotional beat. And we're going to take a brief pause for a message from our presenting sponsor, HBO Max original documentary series, Alan versus Pharaoh, goes behind the years of sensational headlines to reveal the private story of one of Hollywood's most notorious and public scandals, the accusation of sexual abuse against Woody Allen involving Dylan, his then seven-year-old daughter with Mia Farrow. It's for your Emmy consideration for outstanding documentary or nonfiction series, and it's streaming on HBO Max. Obviously visual effects are a big part of this, but correct me if I'm wrong. It feels to me like a lot of at the, at the heart of it, nothing in the way that you direct action replaces the camera actually having speed, right? Like there's as much as, as much as technology is advanced and you do amazing things with visual effects in this, there's a certain element of like, we have to be moving through actual space. Am I wrong about that at a certain speed and the cars have to achieve, I mean, obviously, you're probably not going 200, but the cars have to achieve a certain speed. Is that, is that still true today as it was from when you directed the first one? Yeah, I, I think there, I mean, maybe it's trade secret or whatever, mm -hmm. but uh, I, I do think that for me personally, like you can't, you know, it's the uncanny Valley, you know, like um, we see faces every day. So if you CG a little bit and, and it's just fraction of a percent off, our brain just knows something's wrong. We see cars every day. You know, it's so much easier doing Star Trek because we don't see spaceships every day, right? So right. we believe it. Um, but when it comes to cars, that's why I, I, it doesn't matter how, what a crazy idea. I always want to make sure we start the conversation on capturing that practically. Even if it's sitting there, you know, four months after we wrap, talking about, you know, the articulation, is everything subjective. But if I have something, 
You know, if I actually did blow up, or, or you know, the, the the armadillo, I can talk about the articulation, and and so it's for me, it's important to be able to have a, a proper starting point so that everybody could be hopefully, you know, on the same page, or at least I know where they're coming from. So in Central America, though, how you go downhill, I have to imagine there's an element of like, was there a point of like, how fast can we go? How can we do this? Is that is that is I, I don't know that Central, those answers the, were there in previous. Yeah, the, right? the Central America one was probably the the most fun out of all of it because, you know, we were fighting through weather. I mean, there was a monsoon season. We were fighting through just the fact that these cars, some of the cars are not made for off-road. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so it really did feel like, um, if anything, like I think the, the a lot of the stunt guys and, and, and second unit was – you know, they, they were probably they, they were happy because the imperfections was I- inherent in what we were trying to shoot. So um, that 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 to me was was probably the, the 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 most fun. And also that sequence for me was starting to we were trying to introduce kind of new language, visual language that we were going to, you know, keep building throughout the movie. Um, so in what so sense? It, could you could you could you give an example of what you're talking about there? Um it's just that, you know, I think I, I set certain rules mm-hmm. on, on how we're going to tell the story. And obviously the flashback, I was very, uh, I was ad- very adamant to make sure that, you know, no matter what, even if we're using something that's not of period, mm-hmm. that it has to be applied as if we were of period. And so when we went to Monte Quinto and we're shooting that, you know, obviously I know what's going to happen in the, in the, in the third act. Um, I, I, I was able to kind of start playing with the language because that wasn't present in the sequence. So when you get through the landmine, you'll see that um, there's certain camera moves, there's certain articulations that is designed to, so when you see the third act, it, it just didn't look like a whole other movie, you know? Mm-hmm. And so those are things that like, I take a lot of pride in and I have, I'm sure I drive everyone crazy and we have conversations and, and I make them reshoot it over <laughs> and over and making sure every department is is you know we're we're, we're all doing this uh, uh, the same we're making the same movie. All right, so we're talking about speed. We're talking about a sense of you can't you can't fake that sense of being grounded. But yet, and, and maybe this is an unfair question. Maybe it's like asking a musician uh, <laughs> about how you do something. But like then you more than anybody else can go into excuse my language, the absurd, like we can fly. Yep. You know, yep. we can fly. We yep. can lose gravity. Yep. We can lose the sense of space. Um, and yet it works. And I'm wondering about that sense of that transition, of that liftoff, of that sense of, and this movie in particular has got a, a vertical sense more so than than I think, yeah. I haven't watched all four of the previous ones. Um, yeah. Is that a hard thing to figure out? I mean, in that sense of that it's going to like, a car's gonna take out and it's gonna get magnet picked up into a car. Or it's like that, that way that the Lego pieces suddenly fit together. Is that is that is that hard to figure out those transitions and how to do that? Very hard. Very hard because I, I, I think that um, I, I didn't, you know, for, for whatever sense of ridiculousness that people want to put that meter on, I feel like I still have to ground it in something, you know? And right, so, yeah. so a lot of times, you know, I, we will build flips and I would literally just flip the car. You know, I think there, there's a moment uh, with Letty, she flipped a car. We actually did that practically and that, that ends up being the kind of the, uh, that ends up being the starter for, for that beat. 
So anything we do, I have reference for it, you know? And so I didn't want, I didn't want for me to sit there in a dark room talking about what I think a magnet can do versus Peter Chang, who is a VFX supervisor versus I have like hundred artists in another continent, you know? I wanted to make sure that whatever we did, as crazy as it might sound, like, let's just launch that car. Let's just, you know, let's pull that car through the, the building so that whatever conversation we're having, you know, we're not talking in theory. We're reacting to something. And so that, that red car getting pulled through the building, you know, we could have just done that v, VFX. But instead, you know, I, I ended up, you know, I remember first time I, we did it and the car, because it was so, the articulation was so crazy, it didn't clear the first wall, you know, and it ended up costing us three cars just to get that one beat that's like, I think it's like three or four seconds in the movie, you know, um, but, but you could do it so many different ways. But for me, it was important to make sure that we involve everybody. We, inv we, inv we involve special effects. We involve a uh, art department so that we can make sure that every beat we can have something to refer to, um, you know, down the road so that I, you know, because I think part of VFX sometimes that's really hard is what's real to you and what's real to me could be two completely different things. And I, I, I just, you know, now we have the ability uh, and the, the support to, to always just do it practically, no matter how crazy um, to me, like, why not, you know? All right. Justin, I got to let you go. Thank you. And by the way, congratulations on uh, Warrior uh, going over to, I, I'm so excited that things oh, live on. Thank you. That, so. that, that's been, uh, that was one of the great kind of victories. And I give the fans so much credit, you know, and the, and the cast and the crew. Um, it, it took everything and I'm glad that it's going to keep going. And before we sign off for a summer break uh, from the toolkit, I want to remind you to please check out the video essays we've been making from this season of the toolkit. Um, so you can actually see and better understand some of the incredible filmmaking that's been discussed on here. Just Google the guest name and toolkit and you'll find the IndieWire article where we post those videos. I also try to keep the Twitter handle at toolkit podcast updated with links to those articles as well as the shortened versions of the videos. Um, our incredible social media manager Leah Liu posts on, on Twitter. And lastly, and I don't do this enough, the music for the podcast is courtesy of composer Nathan Halpern, a good friend and a very talented musician uh, who is kind enough to allow us to use these tracks. And I want to thank HBO Max for sponsoring the toolkit this season. It's my favorite streaming service, and it's a pleasure to read ads for a series I generally want to plug. And, um, you know, have a great beginning of the summer. Be safe for the love of God. Get vaccinated if you haven't already. And uh, I'm not going away. Uh, just taking a brief pause in Toolkit, which will be back soon enough. And you can still follow all mine and my colleagues' craft coverage at IndieWire.com. Um, stay safe.